This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We want to go to the Word of God now at this point, and we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah, which if you go back from Psalms, Job, Esther, Nehemiah, it's just easier to find it that way. Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we want to be tonight. And we'll read the first five verses together. So Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through to 5. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. That Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner, then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Amen. Let's just stop there. This little trio of books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, are what, call, or what is called the post-exilic books. Uh, and that means that this relates to the time uh, when Judah, who had been 70 years in captivity in Babylon, in exile there, were coming out of the exile. And this was a, a, a phased uh, coming out of exile. It took place over approximately about 100 years. The Babylonians had been defeated. Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire now ruled, and they were much more uh, conciliatory towards the, uh, to Judah, and actually was helping them to leave bit by bit, as it were, over a period of about 100 years. And the first uh, phase was by decree of Cyrus under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the priest. And a remnant, about 50,000 Jews, uh, went back home to their Judean homeland to rebuild the temple. And Haggai and Zechariah were the prophets during that period. And then some years later, Ezra, who was a priest scribe, he led a, another smaller contingent back to the homeland also. And then 13 years after that, by decree of Artaxerxes, Nehemiah, who was his cupbearer, Artaxerxes allowed Nehemiah to come back home too. And both he and Ezra joined forces together in order to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And Malachi was the prophet during that particular period. The little book of Esther, which is a wonderful book, it's set between the first phase coming back and the last phase coming back. And it relates to uh, God taking care of the Jewish people in captivity and how he stopped and thwarted Haman, who wanted them destroyed throughout the whole empire. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Nehemiah was called to build a wall. It consumed him. It was his passion. It was his reason for getting up in the morning. 
It was all he could think about and pray about. It was his goal. It was his vision. It was what he wanted to do. It was burning in him. Let me ask you tonight, what is yours? What is the wall that you want to build? Or what is the wall that you are building tonight? Maybe for you, maybe it's if you're a parent, maybe it's just simply to have a godly family. Maybe what you really want and what your real passion is, is to raise your children up as godly young men and women. At the very least, you want them to be good citizens. You want them to have good morals and good ethics and to be honest and hardworking and all those things that normal parents would want for their children. But above and beyond that, perhaps you want a godly family. You know, we have done so many and we have one coming up very shortly. We have dedications of little children where parents stand at the front and they dedicate their child unto the Lord with the hope and with the prayers uh, and as best as they can raise them up to come to know the Lord when they get older by themselves, that they can make that choice and then go on and to be godly and to serve the Lord. Maybe for somebody else, maybe it's simply to have a, a godly marriage. Maybe you want a marriage that's solid and that's strong and that's lasting, that's stable, where both partners are faithful to each other. And, and above and beyond that, you want it to be godly, uh, you want to put God first in everything in your lives. You love each other. You love each other's company. You've been with each other for many years, perhaps. Or maybe you're just starting out. Who knows? And so you want the rest of your life uh, to have a godly outlook, the prospect to be godly. You want to serve God in whatever capacity you as husband and wife can do for the kingdom of God. Uh, maybe it's to have a, a business or a career that would be God-glorifying, that would bless your family, that would bless you, that would give you fulfillment. Maybe that's your passion to raise up a business or to have a great career, something that really, you know, that really you're passionate about. But above and beyond that, you want it so that it will glorify God. You don't want to be doing anything that would be not glorifying God. You want it to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. And however God prospers you in it, that that will be something that you can bless God's kingdom with. So maybe that's the thing, maybe perhaps, that would be your goal and it would be your dream. Maybe it's simply just to have a good, solid spiritual life. Maybe that's the wall that you want to build. I hope so anyway. A good, solid spiritual life. And every day, you're putting another brick into that wall. Every day, when you read the scriptures, or you pray, or you seek the Lord, or you take time to meditate, or to worship, every day you do that, you're building another brick. You're making a good, solid spiritual life for yourself, at least for yourself. Never mind those around you. Or maybe, maybe your dream, maybe your goal is to be a leader in God's work. And so maybe that's your passion. Maybe, maybe you feel God has, has witnessed that in your heart. That's what you feel. And that's what you're quite sure of. And so you're, you're doing all you can to make that happen. You're trusting in God's timing, of course. But you're preparing yourself. You're trying to be as honest as you can be. And you're, you're trying to build yourself up in your most holy faith. You're trying to learn everything you can to learn. So that when that time comes, when you step into a leadership role, that you'll be ready for it. So maybe that's the wall that you're building. So as you can see, there's lots of different walls. There's lots of different dreams or visions that you can have uh, for your life. But it's amazing 
It's amazing as soon as you begin to focus on that one thing, how the enemy of your soul will try to get you to quit on that, to give up on that, not to be able to fulfill the dream or the passion that you have or that God's put in your heart. That's what he tries to do. And that's what he was trying to do right here in this very story that we have just begun to read together. And so hell will try to hinder you and impede you and try to stumble you and stop you from going forward with God in the dream that you have to build the wall. Now let me give you tonight four ways, four ways that the devil will try to do this. Four things that he does to try to stop you building your particular wall. First of all, he'll try to distract you. He'll try to distract you. The enemies, the enemy always will try to distract you by sidetracking you to lesser things, to get you off focus, to stop you doing that one thing above all things that you need to do, that you want to do, that you know you ought to do, he'll try to get you to do lesser things. Uh, uh, notice what happened here in the story that we just read together. Let's just have a little look again. In verse 2 it says, That Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain or in the valley of Ono. So here they are in the city, and they want them to go down to the villages. Here they are in the heights of Jerusalem, but they want them to go down into the valley of Ono. Now, Ono was 30 miles away from Jerusalem. That's quite a hike, isn't it? That's quite a walk. And so to get that far away from where they should be, he wanted them to put space between what they were supposed to do, what God wanted them to do, and what they wanted them to do. So he wanted space between that. And that's what the enemy of your soul will try to do with you. That one thing that you desire to do, the enemy will want to put space between that and what he wants, or what your flesh will want, or what somebody else will want. So I sent messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Huh. And so you see that Nehemiah, he was focused, wasn't he? And, and he saw immediately how the, his enemies were trying to, to get him sidetracked and try to distract him so that he would stop building the wall and that he'd be far enough away from building the wall. And he says, I know they want to do me harm. He says, they, they have an end for me and they want to do me harm. He says, I know that, so I'm having no part of that. I'm not even going to stop one second doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm going to continue building the wall for God. That's what his attitude was. So the enemy will try to distract you with lesser things. Do you remember the very familiar story where Jesus and his disciples, as they were wont to do, uh, they went to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their great friends. It was a home they loved to be in. They could feel very relaxed there. And how that when they came into the home and they sat down, Jesus immediately began to teach. Uh, and Mary, she took up the position of a student sitting at the feet of a rabbi. She sat down and was listening intently. But Martha was in the kitchen and then she burst in, in the middle of Jesus' message, she burst in 
And she gave off. She gave off a bucket full. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister's not in there helping me? Speak to her. Tell her to get in here and help me. She was raging, as we would say. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. He says, you're so troubled about many things, he says, but there's one thing that's needful. And Mary has chosen that one thing. Now, Jesus, I'm sure, was as hungry as the other disciples. But when he was wanting to teach, he didn't care about food at that point. Food could wait. He could get food later. That wasn't his, his thing at that moment. His moment was, I'm teaching. And in fact, what he was really saying to Martha, Martha, you should be sitting at my feet. Get out of the kitchen and come and sit at my feet. This is more important than the food you're making. But she didn't get that at that moment. She would get it later, but not at that moment. But you see, she was distracted. She was cumbered about much serving. And she was missing the good thing, the good part, the part that would not be taken away from Mary. And so we need to be careful about not getting distracted. We need to be focused and stay on track and keep on point, as they say today. In Genesis, away in Genesis chapter 24, it tells the story how Abraham told his servant Eliezer to go and find a bride for his son Isaac. Now that's a big job on its own, isn't it? That's the way things were done in those days. So go away, find a good bride for my son. He's about 40 now. It's time he was married, so find a bride for him. And so that was his job. And so he set off and he prayed because he didn't know what he was going to do. And Abraham says, now, don't go to the Canaanites. He says, I want a godly woman for my son. So go to my land. Go to, go to where my relatives are and, and find a good, uh, good bride for my son. And so he prayed. And he, he said, Lord, uh, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, whenever, whenever I get to a well and I need a drink, uh, if a girl comes to me and I ask her for a drink, and she says, yes, I'll give you a drink. But then if she says to me, and I'll water all your camels also, because there was him and other servants, I'll water all your camels also. Well, that's a big thing. It's one thing dipping your bucket into a well and giving somebody a drink. It's another thing to, to, to water maybe half a dozen camels after a long journey. I mean, they're going to drink a lot. So that was a big test. So he says, Lord, if a lady says that, I'll know that's the one that you have chosen. And sure enough, when he arrives at the well, who comes out but the beautiful Rebecca? The beautiful Rebecca. Isn't that right, Daniel? You got your beautiful Rebecca, didn't you? <laughs> and she comes out and he says, give me a drink. And she says, yeah, I'll give you a drink. And I'll water your camels also. And he says, that's it. She's the one. And so he began to tell her about what God had done and, and how that Abraham wanted a bride for his son Isaac. And also he gave her wonderful gifts. And then they went to the family home and they told the whole family. And all of them agreed this was God. This surely was God. This was led by God. God was in this. It's the will of God. It's the purpose of God. Let's do this. And so they stayed overnight because they'd come on a long journey. And so they stayed overnight, and the next day, well, let's, let's see what happens. Verse 54 of Genesis 24. You don't necessarily have to turn to this, but let me read it to you. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us for a few days, at least ten after that, she may go. 
And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Ah, he wasn't going to be put off. Because he's probably thinking, Do you know what? You know, just a few days, ten at the most. If you say ten days, and it could become ten weeks. It could become six months. And maybe at the end of it, maybe she wouldn't want to go with me. So he says, no, no, I, I need to go right now. I've stayed one night, that's it, I need to go. And so they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. That was the right answer, wasn't it? I will go. She knew this was the will of God. She knew this is what God had for her life. And she wasn't going to let anybody, even her family, she wasn't going to let even them stop her. This was focused. This was building the wall with no distractions. She was wanting to do this and to do it right. Over there in, in, Math, sorry, in, Luke, in Luke chapter 9, and towards the end of Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, not happened as they journeyed on the road, this is Jesus and his disciples, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that's, that's lovely, isn't it? That's a nice aspiration to have. Nothing wrong with that. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes of holes, birds of the air of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I could imagine Jesus saying, well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. I'm glad that you want to follow me. But let me just tell you, it's going to cost you something. <laughs> it's going to cost you something. You're going to be ostracized. There's going to come a point, if you're my follower, where society may not like you. In fact, your family may not like you if you become my follower. That's basically what he's saying. The birds of the air of nests, the foxes of holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. doesn't mean he didn't have a house, because he did have a house. But it meant he'd be ostracized. He'll be from pillar to post, if you follow me. That's what he was saying. Then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, was Jesus here being a bit hard by saying that? No, because you've got to understand uh, in the Far East, even in some societies in the Far East today, when somebody dies, they're buried before sundown. It's part of the religious belief. And so it's not like waiting here three or four or five days or like England maybe two or three weeks before you're buried. It was very, very quick. So what he was really saying was, let me go and bury my father. In other words, my father's old. He's getting old. I don't know how long he has to live. It could be a few years yet, but he's really getting old. And, and whenever he dies, there's going to be things has to be set in order. You know, there'll be inheritances to divide. There'll be a will that has to be read. And there'll be all these things has to be done. Well, if they're going to wait that long, you may never do it. And Jesus says, no, let, let the spiritually dead bury their dead. You, you come and follow me right now, today, now. And that's what he's saying. Don't get distracted by all these things. See, sometimes, sometimes the good can become the enemy of the best. See, sometimes the things that distract us, they're not bad in and of themselves. Nothing wrong with them. And they're good. 
but don't let the good become the enemy of the best. And then another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me go and bid them farewell at my house. This is a bit like the situation we just read in Genesis 24. You know, it could be a very long farewell. And the longer the farewell, the chances are you'll not bother going. Sometimes things have to be done and you can't just hang around and wait all the time. So let me go and just bid farewell. Let's not just go and say, hey, I'm off today, bye-bye. No, that was going to be hanging around for how long? Who knows how long? And the chances are they would actually never do it. Many young men, many young women who had a desire to serve God in the past through one thing or another, even through maybe their parents, who wanted to control their lives, who didn't want to release them and let them go. And today, they've never, ever fulfilled the will of God for their life, which is very sad. And so, the warning is here, do not allow the enemy of your soul to distract you, because that's what he will try to do. Secondly, he will try and distress you. He'll try and distress you. In chapter 6 again, we have just read, we had read down to verse 5, then Sambalat sent a servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, and in it was written that this was to distress them. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, well, who started the rumors? That was them started the rumors. Therefore, according to these rumors, you're rebuilding the wall that you may be king. And you have appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there's a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Hmm. These are the ones who started the rumors. These are the ones who made this fake news, because this is fake news. That's all that it was. Because he said in verse 8, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things of you that you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, you see, trying to distress us. And the enemy will try to make you afraid and distress you. The enemy may try to ruin your reputation try to ruin what people think is your character because that's what this guy was doing with them he says I'm going to let the king know the king who released you the king who was good to you back there I'm going to let him know you see that you're a traitor and that you're going to be a king here and an opposition to him which of course was totally untrue but that was to try to distress them to try to say you see your reputation will be ruined if you do this. So the enemy who's, who's smart, who knows a thing or two, who will try any dirty trick in order to distress you, to stop you building that wall, to knock you off course from what you are supposed to do. And in chapter 4, 
here's something else. They try to weary you and tire you out. Verse 11 of chapter 4, And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they, then they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. You see what they're trying to do? They're trying to weary them and tire them and make them afraid. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Amen. You see what the enemy tries to do here? He tries to tear us, to tire us out and make us weary when we're building the wall. That's what he tries to do, make you weary and tired and saying, I'm making no headway here. I'm being fought every step of the way. Everything I try to do, something's coming against me to try to stop me. Well, that's what the enemy will try to do. And of course, what did they do? They got their families, they got their loved ones, they got all the workers, and they armed them. They armed them so that they could not stop building the wall. They armed them to defend the wall that they were building. And sometimes you have to fight a battle. Sometimes you will have to fight a battle in order to build that wall that you're supposed to be building because the enemy of your soul will come against you and you need to know that and you need to be prepared to fight this battle. And so they armed themselves and they got onto the wall and they began to be prepared for the fight and the battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Let me just get my verse right. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. One translation says, struck down, but not struck out. Thank God always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. And so the Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, just over the page a little bit, in verse 5, he says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. What was Paul doing? He was building his wall. 
He was doing what God called him to do. He was preaching the gospel. He was raising up churches. He was in his apostolic ministry. That's all he was doing, doing God's work. But look what's happening. We came to Macedonia. Our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. He said, I didn't think the Apostle Paul was ever afraid. Obviously he was. He says, inside were fears. There's times he, he feared. He feared for his own life at times. That's how bad things were. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, and your zeal for me, that I rejoiced even more. And so even the great apostle, in doing what he was called to do in building his wall, came under attack continually. Listen, Rome wasn't built in a day. You're in this for the long haul. This is for time and eternity. This is not something that you can have a go at for a while and, ah, it's not too good and I feel a bit tired, just give up. No, 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 no. This is for life. We're building this wall for life. To the day we have our last breath, God willing, we'll still be building this wall. Paul says, I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But not to me only, but also, also those who love his appearing. You see, he was in for the long run for the big haul. And I hope that you are too. See, he will try to distract you. He will try to distress you. He will try to discourage you. Look at chapter 4 again of Nehemiah. Verse 1, But so it happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. And he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? See how condescending and patronizing this man is. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? You know, the stones they had to build with weren't in great shape because the walls had been burned down, broken down. That's all the materials they had to work with. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so you see how they would try to discourage them. It won't work. It won't last. You're too weak. It's too shaky. It'll never do. And sometimes... In the midst of building our wall, whether that's a family, whether that's a career, whether that's a ministry, whether that's a church, whatever it may be, sometimes in the midst of that, when you get tired physically, maybe emotionally, and you're a bit weary of the whole thing, that's when the enemy comes in and says, you see, it's not working. It will never work. I told you a few times, I'll tell you again tonight, whenever we started this work at the beginning, I remember it as well, it was, just, it was one Saturday night, and and it was a service we had, and as people were going out, these three men, older men, I was just a young man, and they came to me, and I put my hand to shake their hand, and he says to me, son, it'll never work. <laughs> that was a good thing, wasn't it? Eh? Tell me Job's comforters, son, he had the ministry of discouragement, son, it'll never work. 
And I don't know whether it was my flesh or what it was, but I says, you watch it working. Just you watch it working. And then there was another boy, he one night complained about the offering. I don't know, he was complaining about the offering anyway, and I says, okay, tell me, how much did you give? I'll give it to you back. What did you give? Because <laughs> he hadn't given Ellen, of course. And I knew he was complaining, I hadn't given Ellen, otherwise he wouldn't have been complaining. I says, tell me how much, I'll give it back right now. I don't know where I went. <laughs> so you, you get the discouragers. You get the ones who try to put you down, try to discourage you. And so the enemy will come and say, this isn't going to work. You know, you're trying to build a godly family, a godly marriage, a godly business, a godly church. This will not work. You see what's happening right now? You're tired, you're weary. People are leaving. Somebody's turned against you. Somebody's walked out on you. It's not working. You might as well just quit and give up. That's the thing that would try to discourage you. But don't let it. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Amen. After you have done the will of God, when you have done everything you know to do in the will of God, and the enemy tries to discourage you, do not quit. Don't lose your confidence. Say, Lord, I've done everything you asked me to do. Now, Lord, it's in your hands. I'm doing all I can do. And don't lose your confidence. <laughs> I remember many years ago, uh, I was working in, in a factory, Michelin Tire Factory. I was making tires. That was my job. And every day you come in, you had a certain tally to do. That was sent by your foreman. He was in before you. And today, David, you've got to do 150 tires. You've got to do 200 today. I need that amount. I need that. I have to have that done. And so halfway through the shift, he would come around all the workers, and he would look, because you had a little thing above your head. You ticked off every tire you made. You put a tick on it. And so he came, and he looked to see how many ticks was on that. And if you weren't doing so well, now, he was a great boss. He was a good encourager. If you weren't doing so well, maybe you had a bad night the night before, maybe you were tired and you're weary or whatever, or things wasn't working, the machine was breaking down, whatever. You know, but he, he knew you were struggling. You weren't really up to the mark that day. So he'd come behind you. And like, you know, like a trainer does with a boxer, he'd put his big paws on your shoulders. He'd start to rub them. And he used to say, hang in there, kid, and keep punching. That was his famous phrase, hang in there, kid, and keep punching, or keep at it, keep doing it. Sometimes that's all you can do, <clears throat> just hang in there and keep punching. That's all you can do sometimes, just hang in there and just keep at it, keep doing it. <clears throat> this is why in verse 9, Nehemiah says, Oh God, strengthen my hands. <laughs> Lord, my hands is tired. I'm feeling weary. This is tough. They're coming against me. They're mocking me. It doesn't look as if I'm going to make it. Lord, strengthen my hands. And sometimes you have to pray that prayer. Lord, strengthen my hands for this task I've got. I'm trying to build a godly family, a godly marriage, a godly business, a godly whatever. Lord, strengthen my hands as I attempt to do this. And God will give you the strength. That's for sure. And then finally, he will try to demoralize you. He'll try to demoralize you. Again in chapter 4. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, 
The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. <clears throat> and so we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and the servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. And so you see, they were, they were few in number compared to their enemies. And they were separated on the wall. There was big, big gaps. And they thought, this is not good. We've got to do something about these gaps in the wall. I remember, and I'm going back now, <clears throat> let me see, early 70s, early 70s, I was in the Ulster Defence Regiment. And that was just shortly after I had sort of formed and started. And to be truthful, we were ill-equipped. At that point, we were ill-equipped, we were ill-trained. We were just working people. You know, you did your work during the day, you went out and did your duty at night, you went back to work the next day and people were out to get you along with that. So that's, but that's what you did. And there was a lot of farmers in it. And the farmers had only ever shot shotguns. And now they had a, now they had a high-powered weapon in their hand. And you made sure you didn't get in front of them. Because the way they were swinging about, you knew the only thing ever happened was a shotgun. So you made sure you stepped behind them. And so we were, and I remember uh, we had to guard what was called KP key points. And one of them was, was a big electricity station way, way, way up the mountain, away the Balamina direction. In fact, it serviced a lot of uh, Balamina, that whole area. And it was guarded night and day because it was, a, it was a target. And so we had to relieve. Here was us, Dad's army. That's, that, that's what they called us, Dad's army. That was the joke. And really, it wasn't so much of a joke in those days because it was kind of true at the beginning, but it was got better towards the end. But here, we, here was Dad's army. We were going, and we were going to relieve the Royal Marines or the Parachute Regiment. These was highly trained, professional, highly efficient, highly armed soldiers. And here was us. Had just clocked off work that day. We are going to guard that night and go back to work the next day, absolutely knackered. And here was us going, and... We had to, and it was usually, it was always at night for every reason. It was always seemed to be at night. And, and many of my duties at night was like from two in the morning to five in the morning. This is in the middle of the winter. And here you were in a little tin hut around the perimeter of this massive place. And all you could see was the lights of this electricity place. And you could barely see where the next wee hut was. And you were in that on your own. It wasn't two by two, it was one by one because we didn't have very many. So you're in that on your own with your wee rifle, there you were standing. And, and, and because it was up in the mountains, it was a sheep area. There was lots of sheep. And because they had flares, you know, and tripwires all around the place, well, the sheep didn't know a tripwire. 
And so it would just go up against it, and the flare would go up. And when that flare went up, your heart nearly jumped out of your down your up your throat, because you didn't know whether that was somebody coming to get you or whether it was a sheep. Because this is two and three in the morning, it's pitch black, and the flare goes up, and you're looking to see well, who's coming at you, and it was a sheep. And then, and if it wasn't the flares, if it was a windy night, the trees, you heard the trees rustling and you seen the shadows. And I tell you, it was, you know, and you're peering out into the darkness, just hoping there was nobody just going to take aim at you. But we were separated and it was scary. It really was. Even though you were armed, it was still scary because you were on your own. I mean, you couldn't even see the next person in the next hunt. It was that far away because there were so few of us. And it was a bit demoralizing when you were taken over from the professionals and you were just you were just you in the midst of all of that. But that's what was happening here. They were separated on the walls and they felt vulnerable and they felt alone and they felt I'm on my own here fighting this. And Nehemiah understood that and he tried to fix that because he understood if they're on their own, they're going to be frightened, they're going to feel vulnerable. It's not going to be so easy. And that's what the enemy will try to do with you. He'll try to make you feel that you're on your own in this battle, in this building, this wall you're making, that you're on your own, that nobody cares, that nobody's for you, that everybody's against you. All this stuff comes into your mind and that demoralizes you. Do you remember Elijah? Do you remember how he had the great thing with the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and he slew 400 of them with the sword and the fire came down from heaven and burned up the, the sacrifice. And then Queen Jezebel threatened to kill him. And so he ran. He got frightened and he ran all the way to the very bottom of the country to Beersheba. And then he ran from Beersheba right away into the desert. He couldn't get far enough away from that wretched woman who threatened to kill him. And while he's there, <laughs> the Lord comes. He's there and he gets into a little cave in the mountain and the Lord comes and says what are you doing here Elijah <laughs> you know sometimes when you read the Bible it's actually quite humorous you know if it wasn't so serious what are you doing here Elijah why are you here you know and I, I, if I could paraphrase I could understand Elijah and he's thinking Lord I'm the only one left there's only me <laughs> There's only me. And that wretched woman's trying to kill me. Do you not understand? That's why I'm here. You know, that's what he's thinking. There's only me. And God says, no, no, no. No, no. He says, no, I have 7,000. He hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. I'm sure he was thinking, well, I wonder where they were when I was up that mountain, tackling the 400 on my own. You see? And God sent an angel and fed him and watered him and gave him a commission to anoint other prophets and kings. But he felt so alone. There's only me. I'm the only one doing this for you, Lord. There's nobody in this nation cares about your honor and your name. Only me. That wasn't true, but that's how he felt. And sometimes we feel it's only me. I'm the only one who seems to care about this wall I'm building. And you feel on your own doing it. But you're not on your own. God is with you. In Hebrews 13, sorry, Hebrews 12, 3, for consider him who endured such hostility of sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Huh. Think about Jesus. Think about how many was against him. Hmm? 
Think about his own disciples. One betrayed him. One denied him. The rest of them ran and left him at his most difficult moment in life on earth. They all deserted him and ran. Talk about feeling alone. And it even gets worse. Even on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's got to be the most poignant thing Jesus ever said on earth. He felt even forsaken by God himself, by his Father. So if you feel alone, think of what Jesus must have felt. But really you're not alone because God is with you. It says in Hebrews 6.15 about Abraham, it says, And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. See, God gave him a vision, a dream, made him a promise to have a son. And the older he got, the more impossible it seemed. And the older his wife got, the even more impossible it seemed. But he didn't quit. And he didn't give up. And he kept believing. And so after he had patiently endured for all those years, he obtained the promise. And he got his son, Isaac, the son of promise. Let me end with this, Nehemiah chapter 6. Verse 14, My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these their works, and their prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets, who would have made me afraid, and so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when our enemies heard of it and all the nations around saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. So who's discouraged now? Their enemies, <laughs> you see. And if you keep holding on to God and keep trusting him and keep battling through, keep building that wall, one day your enemies, they'll be the ones that are discouraged because they'll see that God's on your side and God brought you through. It says on the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And so there was an end to it. There was a finish to it. It didn't go on indefinitely. It didn't go on forever. There was a day and an hour when it ended, when the work was done and the thing was secure and the wall was built and God's word had come true and that was it. And I encourage you with that tonight. Keep on trusting, keep on believing because one day you will see that happen in your life and you'll be able to pinpoint it and say, today, Lord, today is the day today. That was it. Put it in your diary. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us something to build in this life. And by your grace and through your strength, we're not going to cease until the work is complete. So Lord, help each of us tonight to build what you have asked us to build. A family, a ministry, a church, a business, a career, whatever it may be. And help us, Lord, not to quit or to stop until it is completed in Jesus' name.
So we give you thanks, Lord, for your grace and mercy that helps us to stand whenever we're being assailed, even by doubts or fears. And yet, Lord, in your mercy, Lord, you strengthen us for the job. So we give you thanks for this, Lord. Bless us, Lord, as we go into this working week. Whatever we have to do, whatever we need to do, whatever we face this week, knowing that you will be with us because you never leave us and you never forsake us. So we give you thanks. And Lord, if we're in here tonight, Lord, and we don't know you personally, Lord, we need to know you personally. We need to be born again of your Holy Spirit. We need to be saved tonight. So we give you thanks, Lord, for your great salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.